Hello, and welcome to Next Gen Minds, the informal but informative weekly Sunday podcast made for students by students. I'm your host, Maddie Clark, and together we'll start a much needed conversation with students, experts, and other special guests about mental health. We'll bust some myths, find out what are the best ways to manage our well-being, and if all things fail, we'll simply manifest our way to sanity. In this week's podcast, I'll be talking to Jonathan Netherby, a first-year theology student at Durham University, and Oliver Froggett, also a first-year but studying history and international relations at Manchester Met. And together we'll talk about some misconceptions surrounding mental health, their own experiences on moving to university in a pandemic, and advice they would give to anyone who is struggling or know someone who's struggling with their mental well-being. So without further ado, let's start talking and make a change. Um, it's nice to see you guys. I feel I don't know about you, but I feel very weird doing this on Zoom. I'm getting serious seminar PTSD. Um... I had a uni, like, not Zoom, because we used to be. And we went into breakout rooms, and luckily I was in a breakout room with two lads who I actually know, because I met them very early on at uni, and I play lots of Xbox with them. So I, we all just turned our cameras on and just had a chat like this, and did the work and really quickly, and then just managed to talk for 10 minutes. But we yeah. all were, like, living with the background. So I had, like, a Minecraft background, and then I joined back to the main room, and I was just sort of sat there like this, <laughs> Minecraft behind me, and the teacher just looked, he was, like, fucking hell, and I just was like, I'm really sorry. That is absolutely brilliant um <laughs> no don't worry i i've had many atrocious seminar awkward moments like i think one time i rocked up to my seminar in a victorian outfit um <laughs> because basically i was recording as a bit of recording a monologue and um my friend texted me being like maddie you do realize you're like 20 minutes late to the seminar and i was like oh god and instead of doing the rational thing of um you know getting changed and then going on the seminar um irrational me decides oh let's just rock up full victorian lady so i go to the seminar in my victorian costume my camera was on and everything and bear in mind i've never met any of these people before so they're probably thinking i have like some random kink for victor for dressing up as a victorian lady um so if they're listening to this podcast hi i'm maddie i promise you i'm not a weirdo <laughs> anyway before i embarrass myself anymore um before this podcast even begins um i thought i'd start I'd christen Next Gen Minds um, with a cheeky bit of a game called Myth or Fact about Mental Health. Mental Health's a myth itself, by the way. <laughs> I'm actually very excited to have both you and Jono on this podcast because both of you have very strong opinions. So I think this is going to be extremely entertaining and very interesting to listen to. Anyway, let's get started. Um, myth or Fact? Mental health problems are rare. Myth. 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 Okay, okay. What, well, take a guess of what proportion of people do you think have uh, mental health problems? 70%. 60 to 80%. Really? It's actually one in four, which is, God, 25%? God. (laughs) Glad my level of maths went to some use. Um, But it's really interesting that you guys inflated the figures so much. I mean, maybe, maybe a lot of young people that we're surrounded by are affected by mental health or I mean perhaps it's two sides of the same coin that on one side there's increasing amount of awareness but on the other side like domestically there might be still a lot of difficulty and people generally struggle in in starting the conversation about mental health I mean it seems like there's still a stigma regarding mental 
well-being and mental health problems. Me and me and Ollie are probably right in the number of people who struggle with mental health, although only a quarter of people actually report it or receive some kind of treatment. I, I definitely agree. I, I think definitely people have their own issues, and depending on how severe they are, like it, it sort of. I can't think of the words, but it, you know how how comfortable they'd feel to talk about those emotions and what they're actually going through publicly and on a statistical scale i i just don't understand quite why there's such a big gap though do you think that it's actually the reality that the statistics should be a lot higher and that people are just not coming forward or admitting that they might have mental health problems or talking about their mental health if you were to look at the statistics you'd see you'd think that we'd be in a pandemic of things like autism but we're not it's just because understanding it's got better and diagnosing it's got better for in the 21st century and it's the same mm. if you look at PTSD the numbers would be very high in the 21st century despite the fact that we've been for you know world war one and world war two just because they didn't call it that then they called it shell shock or they just shot deserters they didn't have a way of describing it so I think it's it's present it's just yeah not talked about I mean that obviously is a growing awareness um the reason why we can diagnose people more now with mental health issues is because we're more aware of what actually mental health issues are. Um, and you see with the growing campaigns um, of like Mental Health Month or like with Boris Johnson recently appointing Dr. Uh, Alex George from Love Island as the youth mental health ambassador. So there's obviously an increasing um, movement to better mental health. But then there's also seems to be this gap where... Um, people really do generally struggle in learning how to really start conversation with friends and family. Cause I, I think it's quite a difficult thing to sit down and say, are you okay? Like, how are you? Because the most typical British thing to do is say, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good. Make a joke about it. Talk about the weather and brush it off. Um, so I think, I don't know whether you guys have had conversations with your friends or family about, uh, mental health issues, but, um, if you have, how, how have you kind of gone about starting that kind of conversation? For me, it, it's weird. I have very, I have very close friends at heart who I feel very comfortable talking to and in, in seeing if, if they're all right. But it, it's, it's, it's strange. Like, for instance, my girlfriend, I talk to her constantly about mental health and if she's doing all right. And then she'll ask if I'm doing all right. And then we'll have, you know, conversation about what we're worried about, what we're stressed about, what we're upset with ourselves about, what we're insecure about. And it's really healthy. But, I definitely think that with certain guy friends, it's quite difficult because I, I've, I've lots of guy friends who I care about and there are very few who I could really sit down with and have a real heart to heart with. Mm. The only way to approach it is, is in a way where it's kind of jokes because it's a bit like, you know, moist to come on being like, how are you? Are you okay? You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I think it's definitely quite difficult, but um, I think the way that I approach it is just try and have a laugh, which is quite silly, but try and have like an open conversation. And I think it's really interesting that you like drew upon that distinction because I think it is so true that I think men, I'm not trying to generalise here, but there's this social construction or social idea that um, in order to be a man that you don't really talk about your feelings, that you've, there's this conception that if you do admit that, yes, okay, you know what, um, I'm not feeling, I'm feeling really down or I, I do want to talk about um, X, Y or Z. Um, I think also people tend to forget that actually like men can have disorders like eating disorders or body dysmorphia um that are normally linked or you kind of normally see that as a female mental health problem um and it seems like in the statistics as well like women are more likely to be treated for mental health problem at 29 percent compared to 17 percent um 
the female to male ratio. But then if you look at suicides in men from 45 to 49 years old, there's a much higher suicide rate in men of that age group. So it seems women, it might be the case like Jono was saying before, that people that are more likely to come forward and talk about their symptoms are more likely to be diagnosed. So the statistics might actually not represent the full story. I think a lot of what surrounds it is toxic masculinity and the idea that you have to be tough and you can't express how you feel because that's like feminine and it's a feminine trait. And I think there's a sort of sort of sexist stigma that, that goes around guys having to repress and push down the way they feel because they need to be these big, strong, tough guys. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's a, a major problem in terms of uh, the gender split and i think in some kind of demographic suicide is one of the leading causes of um deaths for male within you know within a certain demographic i'm not sure which group so it's obviously a serious problem um i think it 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 is difficult for, for men to talk about it as a cultural as a cultural thing i mean i think it's a mix you can say toxic masculinity i think there's other factors it can swing too far the other way that boys aren't being given the space to you know, be boyish anymore. Um, not that we want to kind of open that can of worms and move into another debate because we're talking about mental health. But I think that there are pressures on boys just as there are pressures on girls. And I think people get you know, mental health problems for different reasons. But I do, I do see that there's a lack of conversation um, amongst uh, men about mental health. And it's, it's difficult to start conversation and difficult to kind of enter into that. And I think the only caveat is, is that it's still someone's kind of health and you wouldn't necessarily discuss someone's physical health. They know they might not want you to. So I think that's a kind of a caveat we should put on, on these chats is that, you know, it's great to try and initiate conversation, but we shouldn't push for it because it is also a, a matter of private, you know, you're just your, your private kind of personal details. I'm not sure what you guys think. But I think it's really interesting that you, you kind of drew upon the, the image of like mental health versus physical health. And like you said, like physical health is easier to spot, like a broken arm, you can visibly see that whilst with mental health it might be harder to actually um, see. And it, and it kind of draws onto the problem of what actually is mental health, because I think there's a difference between like a mental health illness or disorder um, and actually just genuinely just feeling down. Um, and I think to distinguish between the two is hard. And I don't think you can really do that yourself. Um, so I guess that's when the conversation, again, is much needed. But then also where, like you said, where's the line between pushing someone to talk about something that they might not want to talk about? So, yeah, it's just difficult. I think there's like a friction between um, losing a relationship because you push someone to talk about something that they didn't want to and losing a relationship because you weren't there when they needed you. Um so it's a really hard line to draw on, but I think there's no harm in just trying to start the conversation. Um, and if there's resistance, then respect that. Respect that someone doesn't want to talk about it, but just maybe keep an eye on them um, and check in once in a while, because eventually they might want to start talking about it. I, I, I agree. I definitely think there is an element of, of pushing people away. And as you said, you know, how if you had a broken arm, people can see that like it's obvious and they'll go oh how'd you break your arm but mental health because it's problems that you that reside with you and stuff that you need to work on it's very easy to conceal like i've had friends struggling with depression and i haven't even noticed i was going to say they, they say a problem shared is a problem halved and you know i can't say that 
I have felt it, but I'm sure there are some people who don't want to share with their friends because they don't want to pass on their problems or, or burden them. They, they feel so bad about what they're going through that they don't want to spread it. And obviously that's, that's not true because it is, you know, a problem shared is a problem hard. Many hands make light work and, you know, all these silly little kind of phrases, but I think it does ring true in terms of, um, in terms of mental health. And I think it's very difficult to delineate between physical and mental health because they're so intertwined. They definitely affect one another. Um, I mean, I don't have the statistics, but I'd imagine that you see a correlation between poor physical health and poor mental health. I mean, um, eating disorders and yeah, stuff exactly. like that. People are with their own bodies and therefore they lower their self-worth. And on a, a wider point about why it's so difficult to talk about, because it's not physical, because it's not visible, sorry, that you don't see someone wearing a cast, you don't see someone covered in bruises. There's a sense of the kind of unknown and there's a sense of ineffability about it. And that's why I think people <clears throat> don't talk about it because they just don't have the words to. It's kind of, you know, fighting thin air in a, in a way. It's very difficult to, to speak about the unknown, the unseen. No, exactly. I think some people struggle to identify what they're feeling and, and kind of differentiate between um what if they're feeling down or if they're feeling depressed because I think we're we're fun we're not taught about it in schools that like in primary school secondary school we're taught about how to answer exams on the exam paper and have the occasional PSHE lesson on drugs <laughs> and I think it's it's, it's almost something that needs to be changed so that children learn what are the symptoms of depression anxiety OCD so that they well firstly they don't confuse maybe just an odd day of feeling down with depression um but if they are continuously feeling um the symptoms of depression then they can catch it and talk about it before it gets worse so it, i think that's definitely something that needs to change in the education system especially preparing kids for their future life um I mean, talking about future life you are both first year students who are currently in their second year of second year second term of university and i just wanted to learn about your experience of moving to uni in a pandemic because I mean, uni itself is a daunting experience. It's something completely new, new environment, new friends, your independent learning. You've got to fend for yourself. Um, but then added on to this pressure is the fact that, A, well, a lot of students who rely on jobs um, can't, can't work because of corona. And secondly, you are in isolation. You're with your bound, you're stuck with 10, 12, 15 people that you've never met before. Um, and you have to get along with them because they're your flatmates. You're obliged to because you can't socialise with anyone else. Um, you can't join societies to meet people that might have the same interests as you. So I just wanted to learn about how you have found moving to uni, especially this year. I, I took a gap year. So I was somewhat removed, you know, in terms of the age. And I'd, I think it was difficult for your year group because you'd come from not having been in education since kind of March and having exams cancelled and the whole kind of grades fiasco. It was different. And, uh, so I'd, I'd had some kind of normality when I'd left school. So I'd experienced that, which was quite nice. I think, was I disappointed? Yes. Um, I think everyone is. I think even in a normal year, freshers, like people will get disappointed because, you know, the supposedly best week of your life and it will never quite match up. And I think it's quite normal. Um, but people don't, you know, people all want to put on a show and pretend, oh, you know, this has been the most amazing time. And it's, it's okay to say, actually, no, it's, it's not that good at the moment. Or it wasn't as good as I expected. 
I think mm. that's fine. But I, I think it's been okay. I've been lucky that I, at least last time, I had quite a lot of in-person stuff. I mean, I didn't come on in under the illusion that it'd be back to normal. Unfortunately, I mean, there, it, it's been okay. There's things, you know, that I've been disappointed about the university experience, but nothing that, that that's too bad. Although I'm kind of coming at coming at it from a different pos- um, position to you guys, so I think it could be, you know, worse if you're not me. Uh, what about you, Ollie? Did you kind of feel the same as Jono, or did you find that you had quite a few expectations that were just not lived up to when you went to uni? Manchester was in its own special lockdown, and I couldn't do anything ever. I was closed, you know, and I and I only knew a couple people there. I had no time to make friends, and then it was in its own special lockdown. So I popped home for like the third weekend I was there to to see my girlfriend and see my parents and just let them know how I was getting on. And then they were like, "We're upping the lockdown, so you can't really go out now, like even like leave your building." So I was like, I'm going to stay down in Surrey still. And then lockdown at November came. So I've been home since like October and haven't been at university because I only got to spend three weeks there. And if I went back, I'd get fined because I can't, I can't just go right back to uni now because they're going, don't go back now. But now that you've been at home for what, for three, four, five months now um, and not been at uni, do you ever feel uh, kind of like you're missing out? I don't know about you, but... A lot of my friends are at Durham at the moment, um, and I see them post stories on their, the Snapchat, on on Instagram, on. God, I feel like such a grandma thinking about all the different social medias that there is. Um, the Facebook. <laughs> um, when you see everyone posting their story on their stories about this amazing time they're having at university, I mean, even when I was at Durham and seeing my old school friends post about what's going on in their own universities, I always felt like I wasn't having as fun a time as they were, still having a fun time, but. There's always that comparison that, well, what if I'm missing out on something? Um, but realistically, when I came back home and talked to them um, and they tell me about how they weren't really having that great time at uni, I get confused and I'm like, but you look like you're having so much fun in your stories and online. Um, but it's because actually social media, it tells the wrong narrative. Like half, half the story is actually we wake up at 12 o'clock, hungover, feeling rubbish in our bed for half a day alone watching lectures um with our cameras turned off and eating leftovers from the night before um so essentially what i'm trying to say ignore the ramble what i'm trying to say ask is do you ever feel like the fomo factor ever plays a part now that you're at home i i really like i'm very happy at home like i have not my my mental health has been fine through lockdown because I have two very loving parents who are always like from a young age, they were like, if you have any problems, you just have to talk to us. I feel comfortable talking to them. I've got a fantastic sister. My brother's a bit of a dick. And I really, if you know, you put two and two together and I'm, and I'm really happy at home and I think I'd be equally as happy at university, but I've, I, I don't feel like I'm missing out on this huge experience, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I think it's so important to have support like I think you have such great support with your family around you um do you, do you think it would be different if you didn't have that yeah I, I mean I'm someone that needs to be around people I could not be on my own for, for lockdown at all I, I would struggle so hard because I just need to talk to people I need to interact with people I need to to keep my brain occupied or else it just spirals you know yeah no I think 
we're inherently we're social animals and I think sometimes it's almost dangerous to be left alone in a room with your own thoughts um, for so long because we need we crave interaction and I don't think we're meant to be in isolation um, but yeah, what about you John um, do you ever feel like the FOMO factor <laughs> plays a part uh, I miss uni is there FOMO I mean I, because we're all first years we haven't really experienced normal uni so it's kind of hard to miss what you don't know, um, or at least this kind of idealised version of it. Yeah, I'm happy at home. It's uh, nice. It's it's nice for my, my parents and stuff to have all their, their children home. I prefer to be at uni. I think, you know, it's just, it's just easier. I think the problem is, is that we've come into university, and it's different for second and third years. I'd say somewhat worse in some respects. Um, and we've just not really been students. If you think about the typical student experience, even the, you know, the things that most people associate with student culture, going out and drinking and stuff, it just hasn't happened. Sports teams aren't on. So it's kind of, I think if normal university was happening, I would miss it a lot more, but it's just not the same. It's, it's just difficult. It's just difficult to kind of know how to feel as a student when you're not actually really a student proper, you know, yeah, no, totally. It's like we don't know what it means to be a student, so how can we comment on what life of a student is like? Um, but going off the back of university and our, our experience at university, um, obviously this year has been like no other. And I don't know about you, but I really struggle finding ways to stay sane every day because <laughs> I do feel like it's a bit like Groundhog Day. You wake up. You do your lectures with your camera turned off. You do your seminars with more likely your camera turned off and add a sprinkle of awkward conversation to there. Um, you go to lunch, go to dinner, pop into your friend's uni room and then do the same again the next day. Um, so I was just wondering, how do you guys cope with that kind of Groundhog Day feeling? Well, I think Groundhog Day can occur anywhere. You get it in the normal nine to five, wouldn't you? Um it is difficult when you're kind of in one space. What we haven't, what we didn't get is this idea of, you know, you get to walk to lectures, you walk to a seminar, walking about the place, finding excuses to leave college was really, really important. Um, but yeah, so I suppose that's kind of how I coped. I tried to do some online societies, although it's difficult online. I think I'm one of the annoying people probably who have their camera on and speak in seminar groups. Um, and I think that's an important step in, in doing something because that, you know, you kind of, you do need to just sometimes take action and not just kind of sit there and stagnate and just kind of have seminars and lectures on in the background. So you've got to, you've got to kind of make your own motivation. But are you, Ollie, um, what do you do at home to keep entertained or sane? I do think I'm in a really small bracket of quite lucky people. I have two very close friends who I've known since I moved back from the US, so since I was about 11, we live really close. So two days a week, I'll, I'll meet up with one and, and we'll go for a walk for two hours and we'll just talk about shit that's going on. And I do find myself having the same conversations with my parents and, and doing the same things, but it's nice to have that little escape once or twice a week where I, where I go on a really long walk with, with one of my good friends and we can just talk about, you know, anything. I feel a lot more bored this lockdown, you know, number three, even though I've actually got university work to do. 
I was on furlough last back, you know, March to July. I had nothing to do, but I felt a lot less bored. And I don't know why. I, you know, I had no kind of purpose back then. I think this is just kind of lockdown fatigue. But yeah, <laughs> I was going to say I definitely think that seasonal affective disorder comes into play mm. with with this lockdown. Because I I remember in the summer, it was it was sunny, it was so hot, and and again, luckily, I actually got to see quite a few of my friends because what I do is I'd be like, right, pop round, drive round. You're going to stay the night. Here's a tent. Don't come close to the house. And, you know, we'd both just drink lots. I, I, I have a pool, so he could sit on one side of the pool, I could sit on the other, could listen to music, we could chat. So, again, I had a really good escape from boredom. But I, I agree, I feel like there was so much more to do in the summer because it's you can go outside more, it's hotter, the days are longer, everyone's happier, whereas this one, it's like, okay, yeah. I wake up at half 11, right, in four hours it's pitch black, I need to go out, you know? No, exactly. And do you remember when Zoom pub quizzes used to be a massive thing? Like, the amount of Zoom pub quizzes I used to do, I think I was literally pubbed out virtually. Um, and it was lethal. Like, the amount of alcohol you drink by yourself in a room. Who knew you could get that drunk? Um, but I feel like now, currently in lockdown, what is it, number three, um, it's almost like we've lost motivation. And we don't, either that or we don't have the time to put in the effort but I think it's just so important, like Oliver was saying, it's so important to, st- to stay connected. Um, even if that's, I don't know if you guys have heard about virtual walks. I mean, it might be a thing I've made up. It probably is a thing I've made up, but I'm going to educate you on virtual walks. Virtual walks are so good because I live in kind of like, not the middle of nowhere, but let's just say my driving is um, better for me to stay off the roads for everyone else's safety. So I have found the best thing to do is just to call someone, give them the ring, and like both of you set off a, on a walk at the same time. Um, if you're really fit, you can always do this running, but I think I'd probably be panting down the, um, <laughs> um, the phone instead of actually talking if I ran. But it's really, really good because it just gives you that time to escape and also reconnect and get outside the house and communicate because it's so important to stay connected and stay grounded. But I think it what does really interest me, or surprises me more like, is the fact that it's ha- it's taken a pandemic for the government to really finally take mental health seriously. I mean, I don't know what you guys think about that, but I think that's kind of shocking. I, I definitely think that it's super awful that now it's it's taking sole focus. But again, like as as young people. I mean, I know I've been educated on mental health from, from when I was eight, like, you know, parents or teachers, you know, if you're unhappy, if you're struggling, just talk to someone, you know, you've got to be open about these things. And that's really helpful. But I definitely feel that like older people, you know, sort of over the age of 50, sort of just get on with it. You know, I, I saw, I saw a statistic uh, quite some time ago, actually, about one in three old people suffer from loneliness, but you know, that I have a divorced grandmother who who never calls or texts us, but I imagine that she's really lonely. Mm. So she just gets on with her life. She's not unhappy. She just does her own thing all the time. Exactly. I think it, I think it comes back to that point of resilience, mm, I guess. Definitely, definitely. What do you think, Jono? I don't want to say either generation is more resilient than the other. Um, I think, for me, it would be somewhere between the two, I think in terms of kind of action on, on mental health 
sometimes we do need to kind of get through and other times we do need to take better attention. I wouldn't say the government, I, I mean, I think the government's done a bad job with the whole pandemic and the whole crisis was inevitable. What do you think would happen locking people up, causing major financial worry? And I think there's the whole pandemic policy, the whole lockdown policy has ignored this idea of public health being a holistic thing. Of course, it was going to happen. People's mental health did get worse over lockdown. I was looking at some statistics from Mind earlier, the charity, and it's like half of adults, around two thirds of young people, all have experienced worse mental health during the lockdown. I think young people are actually quite lucky to have some of the best mental health resources available. Yeah. Certainly, some of the most aware people regarding mental health. And if you think about students at school or university, we've got services counseling services you know as underfunded or as pressured they might be at least there's a specific university service for mental health whereas people outside of the education system don't have that so i think that's the mm. focus is uh, focused on as well but i think it's inevitable and i think we need to think rethink lockdown and the way it kind of happens in terms of the nation's mental health because the government can't you know wax lyrical about how they're helping mental health and then keep us in a state like we are because then it's a case of what you value more physical health versus mental health i would love to start heading down this rabbit hole of government policies but we unfortunately don't have enough time for that so i'd just like to ask you one question if bojo sat in front of you right now and you could tell him one thing that you think he should do for mental health um or you could have done differently regarding lockdown and mental health what would you say to him? I think it's, well, it's not just Boris Johnson. I think that obviously there's a bit of a, a problem with coronavirus, but I think we need to stop with this kind of fatalism. I think young people, I mean, it's really a different kind of show if we discuss lockdown policy compared to to mental health. But I do, I do think that keeping young and healthy young people locked inside for a disease that primarily spreads in care homes and hospitals is never going to be a good idea. Let young people go out and be young people and gain and gain immunity. We should never have shut schools. I think it's disgraceful and we need to look back on this as something that can never happen again. It's it's disgusting really what's happened. There'll be a massive kind of lag in this generation of group. I mean, for some people, they might not have taken any exams, kind of physical exams between university and then their GCSEs, I think I think for some. I think it's completely disgraceful that we're shutting schools and it's not the right policy, but it's it's a lot more complex than just a mental health thing. I think other physical health problems are being caused by lockdown, but like I said, that's for a different podcast. Well, I'll be sure to get you back on when we talk about governmental policies, Jono. What do you think, Ollie? Closing schools was pure stupidity because, I mean, it was sort of school, they sort of shut everything down before summer and then summer came and everything started to like fix itself really slowly. You know, there were still quite quite heavy restrictions. But then back in September, they were like, let's sort of try and, and, and get people back out to school. But then it didn't work. But then they finally did put people back to school and then cases spiked again. And, and then they shut everything. And it's just crazy. But I think for me, someone who has ADHD, sitting down and looking at screen for an hour and a half is so difficult. Because I'm in the bedroom, I'm comfortable, I have so many distractions. And I think that there's going to be a lot of neglected children and 
people in education because they can't learn like that. And and again, it's just going to take a toll on them. I mean, it could even affect their mental health, the idea of not being worth enough. Or Exactly. We're, we're social yeah. creatures, aren't we? And children need to play together. Completely. You know, half the learning happens outside the classroom. And like I said, I worked in, well, in my gap year, I worked in a school. And it was just nice to see the kids playing with each other in those kind of final few weeks of term. And that's what, that was what the priority was. It wasn't necessarily finishing the syllabus. It was about letting children be children. Mm -hmm. I love that saying, let children be children. I think that's going to be my new motto. Um, so last question, because we are literally running out of time. If you could sit down with past your past self or your future self or anyone else who you think is struggling at the moment mentally and you could give them five tips um, on how to manage their well-being it doesn't have to be a mental health issue it just can be in general well-being what would you say to them i think there's an, an element of individuality here that what works for some people won't work for other people i suppose it would be like please just engage in conversation please you know if it's something that will make you feel better tell people about your problem because people genuinely do do care um i think my tips wouldn't just be for the, the person but be for people around them mm. leaders teachers you can't you know if you're a leader of people you need people you need the people under you to actually be productive and be and be good and to be caring about mental well-being i was listening to this kind of interview earlier about um mental mental health in the military and it's really it's really important to take care of take care of your friends because i think there's a this element that they'll take care of you when you're when you're down so be prepared to listen it's all very good if someone's very you know if someone's willing and wanting to share that's great but they need someone to listen to they need someone to be listening to them as well so i think mm. it's the tip for everyone is to be a better listener be actively kind of wanting the best for your fellow men i guess would be i oh, sorry that's not five tips but that's all you're going to get <laughs> yeah no, no i i completely agree it, it's it's a two-way thing it, it's a conversation and um you can't have a conversation unless you have an active listener like you're saying and someone who's actually willing to speak and it's just about creating i think a society that is more open about it and i think we are getting there but i think there's still a long way to go i think it it, it might sound a bit old-fashioned but don't put yourself into a position where you're going to compromise your mental health some things can't be helped some trauma can't be helped but you i don't think people help themselves you know you do have to to make an effort sometimes try and contact friends even if you think you're fine now try and contact friends go out walking exercising whatever do do things that make you feel good because the best you know the best cure is prevention right so don't don't let your mental health be compromised. Go out and do stuff. If you, you know, live the life of a recluse and you don't go outside and you don't contact people and you, you, you do kind of, you make yourself more vulnerable. I 100% agree. I think it's so important to look after yourself and, and put yourself first because we've talked a lot about helping others and listening to others and making sure you're there and starting a conversation, but you can't help others if you don't help yourself first. Um, so I think, it, yeah, it's so important to put your own well-being first and also to not 
um, become overwhelmed by taking on other people's burdens. Um, there's, I think there's a difference between helping someone and taking on their, literally making their problems yours. Um, so I think it's so, you've got to be so careful. Ollie, what about you? I, I can't really think of many, but I'd say that one important one is that if, if someone is, if, if someone is struggling with, you know, personal image, happiness, or, you know, self value, the idea of talking to someone may seem really scary and the expectation put on them to talk and feel better, you know, I think they need to know that they can share however much or however little they want at any given time. And a big mm. important part of that is finding someone who they trust, who they can talk to whenever they need to. You know, you need to have someone who you can call at 11 o'clock at night and who will you will know will pick up and you will know that they'll talk to you and they'll pour your heart out and, and be there for you in that sense. And, and the idea that it's not just going to fix itself immediately. It's going to take serious time and effort and, and you need to take it step by step, however you feel. And the idea that you... You know, I, I mean, I, I've had friends who've suffered with eating disorders and, and it's awful because you just watch them destroy themselves, basically. And especially because the idea that they get, you know, sort of value out of not eating and and that's how they feel good. It's, it's awful because I can't do that. for I can't eat for them. I can't turn them around and go, stop it now, you know, mm. and it's, it's ultimately up to them. And, and it sucks, but I think for some people who are trying to help friends with mental health, it's the only person you can be is, is someone to support them from the side. You did, sorry. To, no, no, please, please, please. You know, you do just have to be careful with a pinch of salt. Please be a, a great listener. And being a great listener doesn't even mean you know what to say in response. You could not even speak. And it's just this kind of letting them have an outlet yeah. is good. But you've got to be careful not to take on their problems as well we want the problems gone not the problems doubled um and i know from my not my own experience but people i people i know that they've caused themselves no deal of trouble because they took on the person they were trying to help troubles and yeah. it, it's great that you could be such a great friend at three you know that you could pick up the phone at three or four a.m and that's that's great you are a good friend but don't let that become you know don't let that become a toxic a toxic thing mm. because it, it can happen so i mean obviously please yeah listen to listen to your friends if they're struggling but just be aware that you can't don't let them don't sink with them if that makes sense i could talk to you guys for hours on this but i just wanted to say thank you both so much for doing this and being part of the show and also being patient with me for my first podcast i know we've had a few blips but You've made it very entertaining and interesting and and it's great to hear from both of your perspective, especially as you guys are male and fresh as going to uni in a pandemic. I, I'm just so grateful that you've been so willing in starting this conversation with me. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you both and I just want to say thank you also to everyone who's tuned in for the very first Next Gen Minds podcast. I hope you enjoyed it um, and just watch this space because there are many more coming your way. Next Gen Minds is part of an important initiative to draw attention to the mental health crisis unfolding amongst the future generation and to eradicate the stigma and taboo of talking about mental health. If you feel that any areas or topics discussed affect you or you're simply feeling lost or overwhelmed, 
head to the Next Gen University's website for resources on how to cope, including the 30-day Mental Reset Challenge. This challenge includes short three-minute videos to help equip you with a toolkit of useful coping mechanisms and ways to strengthen your well-being. And remember, start talking, make a change.